0: Well, hello, Revolution. How are we? Doing good? Good, man. It is so good to see you. All uh, 14 people excited to see me. That's fantastic. Uh, Man, I hope you've had a great June and first... uh, It's hard to believe we're in July, and and you're enjoying a couple weeks of that as well. I know my family and I, we had a great time away. Uh, It's always good just to take a break. Uh, i tell you one of the things that I I really enjoyed more than anything. I've had several people ask is... Uh, one of the things that I enjoy the most about uh, just being away from leadership and, and teaching, even though I love teaching, is I got to read the Bible a lot just as a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like I just got to read the Bible for myself, uh, just to enjoy the Word of God for myself, not thinking, oh, I got to teach this, or oh, I can't wait to share this, and, and there was plenty of those moments where I was you know, spending time with the Lord and and, and reading and, and feeling like, oh, I might teach this or I might teach that. And 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 the Holy Spirit would just very gently say, that, That's just for you, man. That is just for you. You enjoy that one. I got plenty more for you later, but you enjoy that one. And, and that's the beauty of taking a break. And and this is just a rhythm that we all should enjoy in our life because uh we just live in a in a culture where busyness is kind of the mantra, like how you doing? I'm busy. Right? And, and I said this uh, at the end of the school year. I was talking to a friend of ours that goes to a different church, but our family that is uh, connected with our family because our kids go to the same school. And I was telling the mom, I said, You know, I hate that word. Uh, she said, I refuse to use that word. I'm like, Oh, what, you used to, what word do you use? She's like, Fool. We have a full life, and I'm like, that is a much, much better word because I don't like the word busy, but full is is the idea of God is doing a lot in us, And, and taking breaks is a part of living a full life because God built the world with the rhythm of Sabbath, right? He made it in six days and rested on the seventh. Not that he needed to rest because he's God, but he was building in a rhythm for all of us to take rest. Uh, and so it was great to be a way to do that, to rest some mentally, emotionally, and, and just like I said, just receive from the Lord. And for you, uh, over the last several weeks, you've been blessed because you've been receiving from some great teachers. And so Chad, Corey, and David, let's give it up for them. They did a fantastic job preaching over the last several weeks. Uh, I'm very, very grateful to each of them and the unique way that they teach the Word of God. i tell you, that's probably the... The hardest part about being away is, and I said this before I left, is they got to teach some texts that I really wanted to teach. I'm going to be honest. I was joking with them this week. I was like, I think I'm just going to go back and reteach everything that you taught. Uh, not because you didn't do a good job, but I'm just jealous that I missed out on it. Um, because just some great texts. I mean, Romans 7, Romans 8, man, just some unbelievable. In fact, Romans 8 is, is called the greatest chapter in the Bible. Corey even referenced that when he taught a few weeks ago. Uh, and so I'm so grateful for them, and I'm so grateful that you got to receive the Word of God. And I'm very excited to actually preach the Word of God today, and so I am glad to be able to do that. So that was like less than the first amount that clapped. And so, all right, just go all in on the clapping or not, all right? That's it. That's it. No half ways. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to pick right up where, where Pastor David left off last week, Romans chapter 8. In fact, the text that I'm going to teach today is chapter 8, verses 18 through 28, but we got to back up into verse 17 because 18 starts with the word for, and I tell you all the time, anytime you see the word for, you have to say, what is it there for? And so this is one continuous thought. In fact, this is one whole letter. I don't know if you've read the whole letter yet, but I would strongly encourage you because it is a letter. It's not meant to be read uh, just you know, by section or by verse, even though those are helpful sometimes, it's meant to be read all together beginning to end. And so we're going to pick right up where he left off But as always, before we do that, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together, right? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Uh, I know in my life, um, the two things that um, just minister to me so much are your word and your spirit. Um, And I know that your word is the essence. Uh, It tells us about who Jesus is. Jesus said he is the word. And so the word of God and the spirit of God working together in our life. Um, to bring about the results that you want, which is so great today because we're seeing in Romans chapter 8, the word of God teach us about the spirit of God. And so God, I pray as we open up your word today, you would speak to us. You would bless not only the reading of your word, but the preaching and the hearing of your word. And you would open our eyes to see the truth in it, God, because all of us need a word from you. All of us need that, and that's the beauty of your word. It's living, it's alive, it's active, and it has that type of effect in our life. And so we pray that promise that Isaiah said that it would not return void. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 8. Like I said, we're going to start in verse 17, and I'm going to start... Midway through 17, just kind of pick up on the last part of it, because it is setting up the main part of our text today. So I'm going to start with a word. It's not even capitalized, man. Come on. I couldn't even get that right when I came back. All right. Verse 17 says this, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18. Here's the main part of our text for again, that's where you see it starts with an emphatic conjunction For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, Romans chapter 8, again, depending upon what Bible translation you have, mine at the top of Romans chapter 8 says, life in the spirit. And so Romans chapter 8, Paul is talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the work of the Spirit and how we live by the Spirit. Last week, David was talking about now we've received the Spirit. The Spirit makes us sons of God by which we can cry Abba, we can cry Dad. And now there's this one part of verse 17 that's so interesting. And to be honest with you, most people, most people, they want to read the first part of verse 17 and then skip right on down to verse 28. Most people... Want to just read, oh, 17, yes, sons of God, we can cry, Dad, we got the Spirit of God, and then move on to verse 28, all things work together for good. But there's this whole section in the middle of the end part of verse 17 all the way to verse 27 that is a conjunction. It is this, and it starts with this provided with. And that phrase they're provided with literally means it's a conditional subordinate clause. What that means is it's a marker of condition. In order to read it like this, in order to experience all the benefits that the spirit brings in being a son, you have to suffer. In order to experience all that, there's a condition. You have to suffer with the son. And so in order to be counted as a son you have to suffer with the son. And again this is a part especially in North America especially historically in America not historically as believers because those who followed Jesus early on knew this was a the condition. They at least understood it because they saw him suffer. And so if we want to be raised with him we got to die with him. If we want to live with him we got to walk with him and when he walked he got criticized. He got literally killed. And so this is conditional. This is a part of the process. But again, this is a part of the process that none of us like. And and I'm with you. I got to be honest with you. I'm not going to preach at you today because there's some things going on in my life that I I told a friend of mine several months ago because I knew I was going to teach on this text right when I came back. I said, man, you know what would be awesome? Is just some things in my life had worked out and resolved by the time that I got back so that I could stand up here and preach that this weekend I could say, listen, I understand suffering and all things work together for good. They didn't all work out. Still in part of the painful process that's producing something. In fact, we had our all staff meeting this week. We do it once a month and I taught out of Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer tells us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, who the joy set before him endured the cross. And then he goes on to talk about how we have to endure discipline because God's treating us as sons. And then there's this one promise in verse 11 of chapter 12 that says this, God is in the pain producing a peaceful fruit of righteousness. And my point to our staff was this, the process is painful, but the peace or the fruit is peaceful. The process is painful, but the fruit is peaceful. I don't know anybody in any area of life that has gotten to some type of fruit or result that hasn't gone through a process of pain. I don't know anybody. But process, especially when that process involves suffering, the process of pain, nobody wants to go through. And can we just all be honest? I'm, again, I am nowhere in church, and that's tough. Can we just all be honest that none of us like that process? Like, can we just take away the Christianese? You know, that weird language that we all speak? And, and, and can we just, and we'll get to this verse, we're going to end today's, you know, sermon on this verse. Can we just quit, like, throwing out Romans 28, just as a pithy phrase, all things work together for good, brother. <laughs> can we just be honest The process of pain is not fun. And I want to give you some freedom today. I want to give you some latitude today as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. You can admit that you don't enjoy it. You want to know how I know that? Because Jesus did. You know when Jesus was on the cross, right? And he cries out. And he actually quote. this is what's crazy. He actually quotes scripture. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself felt forsaken. Before he was even turned over to be crucified, he's in the garden. He says, let this cup pass from me. He knew the process he was about to go through and he was honest in his humanity about he was wrestling with facing it. See, as Christians, we don't have to put on the fake smile and act like the process is fun. It's not fun. It's painful. And this is where it's weird to be a Christian for all kinds of reasons. But it's weird to be a Christian because we can be honest about the pain, but we can be hopeful about the fruit. We can be honest about the pain. We can be honest about the process, but we can be hopeful about the results. How? This is what Paul's saying. Look back at what he says. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, the suffering is going somewhere. The suffering's producing something. So at the same time, we can be honest about the process. We can be hopeful about the peaceful fruit. We can be hopeful about the glory that awaits us. And my friends, let me tell you, also as Christians, that's not bad. Equally, again, the process of pain is meant to humble us, but the moment God humbles us, he exalts us. That's what James says, right? He exalts us. And how is he going to exalt us? Here he says we're going to be glorified with him. I mean, David talked last week, we're co-heirs with Christ. So even though we are in this valley right now, we can look forward to the mountaintop and we can brag about the fact that God is going to work all this together. He is working something. And that involves glory. And to the point that, look at verse 19, 18, Paul says, for I consider the sufferings of this present world, uh, present time are not worth comparing with the glory. Here's what Paul's saying. The glory is gonna be so great, it's gonna make the suffering look like nothing. The glory is so great, it's not even worth comparing to this present suffering. So even though God may humble you to the ground, do not let your spirit be depressed to the point to where you think there's no way it could get any better. Because Paul says, listen, it's going to get so much better you can't even compare this to it. It's going to get so much better you can't even compare. It's going to make this look like nothing. It's going to make this looking like an NFL football team playing against a seventh grade C team. I mean, I just go to sports. That's my my go-to, right? It's going to make something amazing and great look like something in your life right now that looks so big and bad like nothing. So we can be honest, and I'm a preacher. I like alliteration, so here's another H word, but hopeful. Honest, but hopeful. And that's a weird mix. We can be honest, not pithy, but hopeful. And how? Here's how he explains the rest of it. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. For we know, that's a phrase that Paul loves in Romans. He says it over and over and over again. For we know, for we know, for we know. Why did he write Romans? So that we would know. So here's a phrase we need to know. We need to know that the pain is producing something. See, when a woman is in pain, it makes a difference... If she's in the maternity ward or the oncology unit, right? If you hear a woman writhing in pain, it makes a difference of where she's at and what that pain is and what it's leading to. If it's someone in pain that's leading to death or if it's someone in pain that's leading to a new life, It's a different kind of pain, right? And here's the promise. Here's the promise. The promise is this suffering of this present time that we're in has been brought about God, brought about by God. This is when you're like, well, hold up. That's the promise? Why is that good? So this is where most people, most people today, especially in America, whose theology is pretty thin, most people do not credit God with the suffering. They say, well, this is Adam's fault. This is, and if you're a shallow man, you're like, this is Eve's fault. We'd all be in the garden if it wasn't for women, right? It's Adam's fault. That's who the Bible blames. So so we just see this as a result of sin. But I want you to understand something. Yes, it is a result of sin. However, it's all because God is judging sin. So the current state of the world, creation itself, and we are a part of creation. So this is our earth. This is our atmosphere. This is our universe. This is everybody in it, is under a state right now of corruption and futility, this is what God said to Adam. He said, you're going to work the ground, but it's going to produce thorns for you. He told the woman, right? And we're getting into this in just a second. You're going to produce babies, but it's going to multiply pain for you. Everything that was good, that was going to produce something, it was going to be good, it was going to be easy, is now hard. And so the world is in the shape that it is in because God gave a judicial decree The world itself didn't want to be subjected to futility. Adam and Eve didn't want to be subjected to futility, but God subjected them. Why? In hope. Now you say, Pastor, why is this good news that the current condition of the state of the world of the suffering was brought about by God? You want to know why that's good news? Because if it was brought about by God, then that means he's in control of it. If it was not brought about by God, that means he's outside of it. And a lot of people believe in God as kind of a deistic type of God, which means he created the watch and then just set it loose, and now it's just natural laws. No, that's not the God we serve. He's intimately involved in everything that is happening in his world. And this is where you're like, well, I thought God was a loving God. Well, here's the deal. A loving, judicial, honest God has to judge. And so the current state of the world, from when sin entered it, has been subjected to futility and corruption. Here's why this is good news. The suffering that you are experiencing right now, don't take it so personal in the sense that somehow God is just judging you. This isn't just about you. God is judging the world. He's judging humanity from when it was subjected, that's past tense, from him who subjected it, and it says it will be set free. So in the past, God subjected it, and in the future, God will redeem it. He will set it free. And right now, we're in this season or aeon, depending upon how you wanna talk about it, this period of time when we are living in a world that is not functioning in the way it was supposed to, and all of us know it, whether you believe in Jesus or not. We know that there's not supposed to be death. We know that there's not supposed to be tornadoes and earthquakes and hurricanes. We know there's not supposed to be accidents. We know all this. I mean, we just know it in our spirit. And when we suffer, and when our kids suffer, and when things don't go the way that we want them to go, we know it. And so often we cry out to God and we say, God, what are you doing? And then Satan lies to us and he says things like this. You earned this. This is because you sinned here or you sinned there or God hates you or God's mad at you. And we can over personalize the suffering. But here's what Paul's saying. Listen, you're a part of something that's happening to everyone. You're a part of something that's happening to everything. And all of this is happening because God has a plan. In hope, in hope. The reason why that's a promise is Romans eight twenty eight means nothing without 17 through 27. When you get to verse 28 and he says the phrase, all things, it means nothing if all things don't include suffering. You with me when I say that? So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, we're all in the same boat. We're all, even creation itself is fractured and broken and subjected to corruption and futility because God subjected it because he was a judge and he is judging, but he's judging in hope. And here's what's crazy. He says that creation itself is longing, eagerly looking forward to, the revealing of the sons of God. You want to know what creation is looking forward to? You. You being revealed. See, we love going to creation. A lot of us like to travel, and, and a lot of us, we're afraid of, you know, uh, we got bucket lists. We want to go everywhere before we can't go in anymore. We want to hit this place, hit that place, hit this place. And I'm not saying that's bad. You should, because God put it in each of us to look at beauty and glory. And he put that in us because he's saying, listen, if I made this mountain, how much better am I than that? If I made that, how much better am I than that? So it's good to look and glory at God's creation. But you want to know what's crazy, you go and look at all these amazing places and the creation would say back to you, hey, this isn't as amazing as what you're gonna look like. This isn't as amazing as what you're going to be. And we're wait- you're waiting to go see all these places. We're waiting to see you. We're waiting to see what God's going to make you to be. And then he uses this phrase, And this phrase is so helpful. All creation is groaning. The whole creation is groaning to the pains of childbirth. Listen, anytime a birth is happening, there's pain. But the pain is bringing about new birth. And the new birth of what's going to happen in this pain is a new you, is a redeemed you. You wanna know how I know that? Look at the next few verses. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our what? Bodies. When a woman is in pain, she's bringing forth a body, not a clump of cells, a body, a human being who has a body. And so here's what Paul is saying. In the same way that when a woman is bringing forth a body, right now, God is bringing forth a new body, and that body is yours. And there's a lot of pain right now, but that pain is purposeful. That pain is bringing about something. And so in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this suffering, when you want to quit and I want to quit, and we over-identify with the process of pain, God is saying to us, but I'm bringing about something. This is why James chapter 1, verse 2, which I told our staff and our all staff last week, this is the verse I don't like, nobody likes, right? When it says this, count it all what? Anybody know? Joy. Joy when you face trials of many kinds. Notice he doesn't say there, the trials are joyful. He says, but you better consider it joyful. It's the same exact word he used in verse 18. For I consider, I count, I reckon. The word means to have an opinion about See, the pain of the process right now is being, bringing about a fruit that's peaceful. And what is that peaceful fruit? It's you and me and our glorified bodies. God's bringing about a new body. God's bringing about somebody. Not just anybody, somebody. Somebody. And that somebody is you and that somebody is me who have, he says here, the first fruits of the Spirit. I love this phrase, the first fruits of the Spirit. You try to put it in your, you know, whatever doc, document creation you use, it always tries to separate those two words, first fruits, because it likes them as two words, but in your Bible, it's one word, and I love it as one word. I don't care what, doc, you know, word and notes say. It's one word, and it's a good word, and I love the word, first fruits. We have the first Fruits of the Holy Spirit. How do we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit? The reason how we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit is the Bible calls Jesus the first fruit. The first fruit. Now listen first fruit. Fruit, produce, what God's producing first. So right now we have the fruit, the first fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? That means this, our spirit, when we trusted Jesus, when the Holy Spirit came in, opened our eyes to see the truth about who Jesus is, gave us a new will, and we responded in faith and were saved. When that regeneration happened, we were saved, our spirit was saved, but our spirit still lives in a body that is subject to the corruption of the world. Our spirit is being renewed, but our body is being decayed, right? This is why I joke with you all the time. You can you know, do whatever you want to your body. It's still gonna get older. It's still gonna sag. It's still gonna get wrinkly. I mean, I'm all for it. Lotions and everything, that's great. But our body is decaying. And we can be honest about that. But we can be hopeful that this body is not all that this spirit will ever be housed in. See, so when you trust Christ... Your spirit comes alive. You have the Holy Spirit. But right now, your body is decaying. And one day, we will all die. And when that body goes into the ground, our spirit will go to heaven. And Paul says later in the New Testament, it's a mystery, but not all of us will sleep, a reference to death. He says, but we will all be changed. When Jesus returns, if you're alive, your spirit and your new body will be made or if you're dead in Christ your spirit will come with Christ and he will raise your body out of the ground and your new body and your new spirit the first fruits of the spirit will be joined together and you will live forever with no more death and decay that is what God is bringing about God is bringing about a new body to go with your new spirit. And he uses the analogy of childbirth because birth is bringing about a new body. So why does this matter? It matters because we're in the process of pain right now. We're in the process of futility and corruption, and we need hope which is where he goes next. Look at this, verse 24. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. How many of you are ready to go ahead and get for God to go ahead and get the process done? (laughs) I already told you. I wanted things in my life to be done by this date. I'm like, hey, God, it'd be awesome if you did it by that date. And this is where, you know, that verse that says a day is like a thousand years for the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. And God says, all right, wait a second. And a second winds up being a hundred years. <laughs> God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Didn't come for 25 years. We hate waiting. I don't like it. I mean, those of us who grew up in the dark ages, I a before Internet, Remember those little AOL CDs that you got everywhere and you thought AOL was synonymous with internet? You're like, Al Gore is amazing, right? And you put that CD in and then, and you got online on that 56K modem. Talk about cat gifts, right? Cat videos, man. We had to wait like four minutes to get the whole thing there. And now it's instant on my phone, instant on my phone. And the moment it buffers, I'm like, what? I am like waiting. I don't even like commercials, man. I will pay extra to not even have to watch commercials. I will buy a product from your company not to have to watch a commercial. I don't like waiting. Why do you think... That this world keeps speeding things up. This world keeps speeding things up because this world knows, and when I'm talking about this world, I'm talking about the spirit of this world, which is anti-God, anti-Christ, that the more impatient it can make you, the more frustrated you will be with him. So everything keeps speeding up. Everything keeps speeding up. Everything keeps speeding up. Here's the good news. The faster it speeds up, the faster it gets to the end. Here's the good news. You're like, this is good news. It'll only get worse before it gets better. That's good news. (laughs) You're like, what? That's good news? Yeah. This ain't heaven. Listen to me, Christians. You will only face more persecution, not less. You can vote for your favorite political candidate and feel safer for the next four years, but it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. But the more it gets worse, the closer you are to new birth. So it's speeding up and you got to be more patient. In hope, waiting, knowing that God is in control of it all. He's in control of it all. There's purpose in the pain. And so you can be honest, but you can be hopeful. How do you do that? Look at the next verse, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I love that phrase, likewise, in the same way. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. See, everything that Paul just said was to set you up for 26, 27, 28. And we'll get into next week, verse 29 and 30, which so many people have wrestled with those two verses because it talks about the sovereignty of God and human free will. And people wrestle with that. I look at those as two of the greatest verses in the Bible. Because all of it that went before is resting on the fact that God is in control. It's resting on the fact that God is in control. And not only is he in control, but he gave us the Holy Spirit to help remind us of that fact. Why? Because we are weak. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus told us in John 16, I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you one who's going to help you. He's going to remind you of all the words that I said. And what did I say? Jesus, listen to me, church. Don't ever misunderstand what Jesus said. He said you will have troubles, but I will be with you. He never said you're going to have power. He never said you're going to have political peace. He never said it's not going to go tough for you. But he said, I'll be with you. And how is he with us? He is with us, with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And don't miss this. He's a person. Look at it. It used personal pronoun. But the Spirit himself. The Spirit is not a force. Please don't ever misquote. the the Star, Star Wars is great. I love Star Wars. But the force is an impersonal thing in Star Wars. That is nothing like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force, but a person who lives within you. And that person is talking to you. And he's talking to you in ways that somehow, some way, we don't even understand. Because he says they are groanings too deep for words. Literally in the Greek, that means wordless groanings. Have you ever been in such a painful process? You can't even have the words. You're just like, Mm-hmm-hmm. This is not the Spirit groaning to his father. This is the Holy Spirit doesn't have to groan to the Father because the, the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. He's not groaning to him. They talk regularly. But he's in us, he's groaning. In us, he's groaning, and he takes those groans and interprets them to the Father. This is what some people call a prayer language, which I'm okay with in the sense of these are words that we don't understand, and so these are groanings. And so when you're praying, if you're praying and you're using words and groans that you don't fully understand, that's all right. But let's be honest, again, it's wordless groanings. The point is not everybody should have this. The point is when you ain't got words, the Spirit does. And he's working in your weakness. He's working and he's helping. And I love this one. Look at verse 27. He who searches hearts, what I was just referencing to, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now there's two different ways you could look at that phrase according to. It's a preposition of reference, and what that means is you can look at it that he's interceding for us so that the will of God can be accomplished, or you could read it as he's interceding for us because that is the will of God. The will of God is for him to do this, or you could see it as he's doing this so that the will of God can be brought about. I think either or one of those are fine. Personally, I like the other, the first one of, first or second, I can't remember which order I said them in now. I like the one where it says, it's the will of God for him to do this. It is God's will for the Spirit to do this, for the Spirit to help us, for the Spirit to intercede for us, for the Spirit to work in us Because that's the will of God. But I'm okay with he's working in us so that the will of God may be accomplished. I'm fine with either. And I think they're both applicable. But it's in that context, it's in that context that you get to verse 28. So now let's read verse 28. The verse that everybody loves to quote, and I think it's great, and you should quote it. This is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. And this one, unlike Jeremiah 29, 11, that gets misquoted a lot, is, is New Testament, New Covenant. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven 11 was a reference to a specific group of people at a specific group of time. It doesn't mean that it's not true for us. It just means that it wasn't applying to us directly. It applies to us indirectly, but this one is direct because it's New Testament, New Covenant, post-Jesus resurrection. And here it is. And we know. Here's that phrase again. And we know. What, how do we know? Do we just know it informationally? No, we know it experientially. And we know that for those who love God, how do you love God? You don't love God by your own power. You love God by the Spirit because the Spirit enables you to love God. For those who love God, all things. Everybody say all things. things. Say it again. Say all all things. He didn't say some things. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That phrase there, work together, is the Greek word synergio. It's where we get our English word Synergy. You want to know the definition of the English word synergy it's this the interaction of elements that when combined produce a total effect that is greater than the sum of the individual elements what does that mean there's you and you saved in the spirit there's you and there's suffering and when you and suffering come together, synergistically, God is going to produce something that's greater than the sum of the individual parts. So so don't miss this, there's you, pretty great. There's suffering, pretty horrible. You put those two together, God's gonna produce something greater than you could have been without the suffering. Don't miss this. All things work together, work together, synergistically working together for good. Now don't hear what he's not saying. He's not saying all things are good. No, my friend, they're bad. When a child dies, it's bad. When disaster happens, it's bad. It's not good. When death occurs unexpectedly, it's bad. When cancer comes, it's bad. And you can be honest about it's bad, but you can be hopeful that God is working all things. This isn't good, it's bad. But somehow he's gonna take this and me and work them together for good in a way that's gonna produce something in me that couldn't have been done without this. And the hope of the book of Revelation is God will not only work it together, he will undo what was bad. He will undo death. How do we know he undoes death? You want to know how we know that? Because Jesus walked out of the grave. He walked out of the grave in a glorified body. And he was eating fish and walking through walls. Man, I can't wait for that. Like, I can't wait. That's going to be amazing. And we're going to be like him in that way. We're not going to be him. We're not going to be God, but we're going to be like him. And he's somehow going to work it all together for good, all things. How do we know that? Because the cross wasn't good. The cross was bad. And listen, I don't know what's happening to you. I know what's happening to me, and I know what's happening to a lot of you, because I know your stories. But, but... Hang with me for a second. I'm not trying to minimize anything that's happened to you or it's happening to me, but nothing that has happened to us is worse than what happened to Jesus. What happened to him is the worst thing that has ever happened in human history. The worst thing that has ever happened. The son of God put on flesh, dwelt among us, and we killed him. Nothing worse has happened than that. And if God can take that and turn it in three days, turn it into the greatest thing that has ever happened, the greatest thing that ever happened, then how can he work all things together in your life for a good like that? That's your God. And my friends, you need a sovereign God who's in control of the suffering. You need a sovereign God who's synergistically working it together in a way that no one but himself understands. No one but the Father, the Son, and the Spirit understand. But the good news is you have the third person of the Trinity in you. And when you don't understand He'll groan it to you. He'll groan it to you. He'll use a word so deep that it's wordless. And give you hope in your inner man to strengthen you that this is all producing something. And you're screaming out in pain right now, but there's going to become a moment. There's going to become an instantaneous time when the new body, the new birth is here and I'm not a mom, so I don't understand this, but I've been told that the moment that happens, a mom forgets the pain and stares at what was brought forth. That's why Paul says, the glory that is to be revealed won't compare. My friends, be honest, but be hopeful. God's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The pain is purposeful because it's producing peaceful fruit, and that's you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. There is no message like the gospel. There is no hope like the spirit. There is no hope or joy like the cross and the resurrection. We can be honest about the pain like Jesus did. We can cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we can look forward in hope knowing that we will have a glorified body like Jesus. You will produce, you will bring about, give birth to a new glorified us. In the same way you did our spirit, you will do our bodies. And so we're honest, we struggle, God, we need your spirit to help us, but we're hopeful. We're hopeful that the pain is purposeful and it's gonna produce peace. So God, I don't know the stories of everybody, but I know we're all in this process and we hate it. and We rail against it. Help us to consider it joy like Jesus did for the joy set before him endured the cross. He didn't enjoy the cross, he endured the cross, but he did it for the sake of joy, which was his own glorified body in our glorified bodies. So help us to be honest about where we are, but look forward to the future, knowing that you're working all things together for good. But God, I know there are people here that they don't have the first fruits of the spirit, which means they have not had their spirits regenerated. They have not been reborn. They have not been saved. Paul says, in this hope we were saved. There's some people here that can't speak of salvation as past tense. But right now you're opening their eyes to see the truth about who you are and what you're doing because of what you have done. And so pray, I pray right now, Father, you'd save them. You'd open their eyes and they'd respond in faith. Nobody looking around or talking again here as we close. But if you've never trusted Jesus and today the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word of God has opened your eyes to see the truth about who God is, now is your chance to respond in faith and be saved. So if that's you right there, where you are, I'm going to ask you to pray with me, not out loud, but it goes like this. Say, father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. You sent him into my pain to redeem it. And I'm believing if I trust him, not only will you save me now, but you will save me in the future. So I ask you to save me. Confess my sins, I give you my life. Nobody looking around or talking again as we close, if you just trusted Jesus for the first time, very simply, would you lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women walking around, gonna put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. Father, we thank you for these words, that your words to us, let us take great hope and great comfort in knowing that you're working all things together for good, but that all things does include suffering. And so God, let us not shy away from suffering, but let us embrace it like Job did. Let us endure it like Jesus did. We don't have to enjoy it, but we are called to endure it. But we can have joy knowing it's bringing about something beautiful. And we can trust in that because that's what you did with Jesus and you're gonna do it with us. And it's in his name we ask all this, amen.